Chapter Twenty Six of the Mystery of the Four Fingers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mystery of the Four Fingers by Fred M. White. Chapter Twenty Six: The Last Finger. In the ordinary course of things, and but for the dramatic events of the evening, it would have been about the time of night when dinner was finished and the house party had gathered in the drawing room. It had been somewhere about seven when the Americans reached Merton Grange and now it was getting towards nine. It was not exactly the temperature at which one enjoys an evening stroll, but the recent events had been so exciting that Vera felt how impossible it would be to settle down to anything within the limits of the house. There was a moon, too, which made all the difference in the world. As Vera walked along, she almost smiled to herself to think how strange her conduct might look in the eyes of those formal people whose lives run in conventional channels. She told herself more than once that it would be absurd to hope to see Gerald at this time of night, but all the same she continued her journey across the park. She had not so far to go as she expected, for presently she could see the glow of a cigar in the distance, and Venner came up. A little joyful cry came from Vera. "'This is very fortunate,' she said. "'How lucky it is that I should run against you in this fashion.' "'Well, I was flattering myself that you came on purpose,' Venner said. "'And, after all, it is not so very lucky.' seeing that I have been hanging about this house on the chance of seeing you since it became dark. But you look rather more disturbed and anxious than usual. My dear girl, I do hope and trust that there are no new complications. I shall really have to take you by force and carry you out of the country. Why should we have to go on living this miserable kind of existence when we can take our happiness in both hands and enjoy it? Now don't tell me that something fresh has occurred that will keep us apart for another year or two. By the way, have you had any visitors tonight? "'What do you know about them?' Vera asked. "'Have you found out anything about Mr. Fenwick?' "'Well, I should say so,' Venner said dryly. "'I have absolutely got to the bottom of that mysterious coin business. In fact, I accompanied Egan and Grady to London, and I was with them when they arrested that awful creature Blossett. Egan and Grady are old friends of mine, and I told them all about the strange coins and how you literally burnt your fingers over them. They were coming down here to arrest Fenwick, and I offered to accompany them, but they declined my offer, so I returned here alone, and have been hanging about the house, curious to know what has taken place. Have they bagged our friend Fenwick yet? It is about Mr. Fenwick that I wish to speak to you, Vera replied. Mr. Evors is down here. By the way, I don't know whether you are aware of the fact that he is the son of Lord Merton. Perhaps you had better tell me the story, Venner said. I am coming to that presently. Mr. Evors is down here. He is the man who is engaged to my sister Beth. Venner whistled softly to himself. At any rate, he knew all about that, for his mind went swiftly back to the series of dramatic events which had taken place some time previously in the house in Portsmouth Square. He recollected now the white-faced young man who had broken away from his captors and joined Le Fenu, otherwise Bates, in the drawing-room. He recollected the joy and delight of the girl, and how she had clung to the stranger as if he had come back to her from the other side of the grave. "'There will be a great many things to be explained between us presently,' he said gravely. "'But for the present, I want to know all about Fenwick. Where is he now?' "'He is hiding up at the house. I believe they have put him into a secret room, the whereabouts of which is only known to Charles Evors. Of course he will not stay.' "'But why shield such a blackguard at all?' Venner asked. "'Surely, after all the trouble he has caused you—' "'You must not forget that he is our own flesh and blood,' Vera said quietly. 
I had almost ignored the fact. I am afraid I should have ignored it altogether, had not my brother taken a strong view of the matter. At any rate, there he is, and we are in a conspiracy to get him safely out of the country. For the present, the man is utterly broken down and absolutely incapable of taking care of himself. I want you to do me a favor, Gerald. I want you to take a hand in this business. While the police are still hot in the track, it would not be prudent for Mr. Evors or my brother to be too much in evidence just now. "'My dearest girl, I would do anything in the world for you,' Venner cried. "'And if I am to take that sorry old rascal out of the country and get rid of him altogether, I will do so with pleasure and never count the cost. If I could see your brother—' "'Then why not come and see him now?' Vera said. "'You will have to meet sooner or later, and there could be no better opportunity for an explanation.' To Lefinu and Evors smoking in the dining-room came Vera and Venner. Lefinu looked up with a sort of mild surprise— and perhaps just a suspicion of mistrust in his eyes. "'Whom have we here, Vera?' he said. "'This is Mr. Gerald Venner,' Vera said. "'You know him perfectly well by name. He was with us, on and off, for a considerable time before our poor father died. Father had a great regard for him, and I hope you will have the same, for a reason which I am just going to mention.' "'I am sure I am very pleased to meet you,' Lefinu said politely. This is my friend, Mr. Charles Evors, the only son of the owner of the house. When I come to look at you, Mr. Venner, I confess that your appearance pleases me, but I have had to deal with so many suspicious characters lately that really—'Don't apologize,' Venner laughed. "'You will have to make the best of me. I came here tonight with Vera to have a thorough explanation of certain matters.' "'Oh, indeed,' Lefenu responded with uplifted brows. "'My sister and you appear to be on very familiar terms.' "'It is only natural,' Vera laughed. A vivid blush flooded her face. "'Charles, Mr. Venner is my husband.' "'I am not in the least surprised to hear it,' Lefinu said. "'In fact, I am not surprised at anything. I have quite outgrown all emotions of that kind. But perhaps you will be good enough to tell me how this came about, and why I have not heard of it before. As your brother, I am entitled to know.' "'Of course you are.' It was just after our father died that I promised myself to Gerald. I had my own ideas why the marriage should be kept a secret. You see, I had more or less thrown in my lot with my uncle, Mark Fenwick, because I had determined to get to the bottom of the business of our father's death. I felt certain that Charles here had nothing to do with it, though, owing to his folly and weakness, he played directly into the hands of the man who was really responsible for the crime. "'We all know who is responsible for the crime,' Lefinu said. There is no necessity to mention his name. Oh, I know that, Vera went on. The explanation I am making now is more to my husband than either of you. He has been goodness and kindness itself, and he is entitled to know everything. It was within a few minutes of my being married that I learned something of the dreadful truth. I learned that Fenwick had conspired to throw the blame of the tragedy upon Charles Evors. I found out what an effect this conspiracy had had on our poor Beth. Then and there I came to a great resolution. I wrote to my husband and told him that in all probability I could never see him again. At any rate, I could not see him for a long space of time. I implored him to trust me, in spite of all appearances, and he did so. Now he knows the reason why I acted so strangely. I can see that he has a thousand questions to ask me, but I hope that he will refrain from doing so at present. The thing that troubles me now is what has become of poor little Beth. "'Oh, she is all right enough,' Lefenu said. "'I thought of that before I came down. 
I have left her in the safe hands of the very clever doctor, who has my case under his charge, and Beth is with his family. We can have her down here to-morrow, if you like. Nothing would please me better, Vera said fervently. And now I want to know if you have done anything or formed any plan for getting rid of Mark Fenwick. I shall not be able to breathe here until he is gone. Lefanu explained that they had come to no conclusion at present. He was quite alive to the fact that delay was dangerous, seeing that Lord Merton's agents would have to communicate with him by telegram, and that the owner of the house might be back again at any moment. Therefore, it was absolutely necessary that something should be done in the matter of Mark Fenwick without loss of time. Vera indicated her companion. "'That is why I brought Gerald here,' she said. "'I thought he might be able to help us. He knows all sorts and conditions of people.' and it is probable that he may be able to find an asylum in London, where the wretched man upstairs can hide, till it is quite safe to get him out of the way. "'I think I can manage that part of the programme,' Venner said. "'There is an old servant of mine living down Poplar Way, with his wife, who will do anything I ask him. The man has accompanied me all over the world, and he is exceedingly handy in every way. Those people would take a lodger to oblige me, and when you come to think of it, Poplar is not at all a bad place.' for anybody who wants to get out of the country without being observed. It is close to the river, and all sorts of craft are constantly coming up and down. What do you think of the idea? Excellent, Evors cried. Couldn't be better. Do you think those people would mind if you looked them up very late tonight? Not in the least, Venner said. There is only one drawback, and that is the danger of traveling. Lefanu suggested that the difficulty could be easily overcome by the use of Fenwick's motor, which, fortunately, the detectives had brought back with them when they came in search of the culprit. It was an easy matter to rig Fenwick up in something suggestive of a feminine garb and smuggle him out into the grounds and thence to the stable where the motor was waiting. Fenwick came downstairs presently, a pitiable object. His mind still seemed wandering, but he braced himself up and became a little more like his old self when the plan of action was explained to him. Vera drew a deep breath of relief when once the man was outside the house. "'Thank God! We shall never see him again,' she said fervently. "'And now I believe I could eat something. It is the first time that the idea of food has been pleasant to me for days.' Meanwhile, Venner and Fenwick were speeding along in the car towards London. Perhaps it was the knowledge that safety lay before him. Perhaps it was the exhilaration caused by the swift motion of the car— but Fenwick became more and more like himself as they began to near the metropolis. "'This is very kind of you,' he said. "'Considering you are a stranger to me, if you only knew my unfortunate story.' "'I know your story perfectly,' Venner said coldly. "'You see, I had the pleasure of the friendship of the late Mr. George Le Fenu, and Mr. Evors and the younger Mr. Le Fenu are also known to me. Not to be behindhand in exchanging confidence for confidence, I may also say that your niece, Vera, is my wife. Fenwick said no more, for which Venner was profoundly grateful. They came at length to the little house in Poplar, where Fenwick was smuggled in, and a certain part of the story confided to a seafaring man and his comfortable, motherly wife, who professed themselves ready and willing to do anything that Venner asked them. "'Give him a sitting-room and a bedroom,' Venner said, "'and take this ten-pound note, and buy him a rough workman's wardrobe in the morning, as if you were purchasing it for yourself.' Let him lie low here for a day or two, and I will write you instructions. As to myself, I must get back to Canterbury without delay. Trembling with a sort of fearful joy, Fenwick found himself presently in a comfortable sitting-room at the back of the house. 
he noted the cleanliness of the place, and his heart lightened within him. Something of his own stern, self-reliant courage was coming back to him. His busy mind began to plan for the future. Presently he was conscious of a healthy desire to eat and drink. In response to his ring, the landlady informed him that she had some cold meat in the house, and that it was not yet too late to send out for some wine if he desired it. "'Very well,' Fenwick said in high good humour. "'Give me the cold meat, and ask your husband to get me a bottle of brandy. I shall feel all the better for a thorough wash. And don't be long, my good woman, for I have never been so hungry in my life as I am now.' Fenwick returned to the sitting-room a few minutes later to find a decent meal spread out for him. There was cheese and butter and some cold meat under a metal cover. A bottle of brandy stood by the side of Fenwick's plate with a siphon of soda-water. He took a hearty pull of the mixture. The generous spirit glowed in his veins. He would cheat the world yet. "'And now for the food,' he said. "'I trust it is beef. Nothing like beef on occasions like this. Also—' He raised the cover from a dish. Then he jumped to his feet with a snarling oath. He could only stand there trembling in every limb, with a fascinated gaze on the dish before him. "'God help me!' he whispered. "'There is no getting away from it. The last warning!' the fourth finger. End of chapter 26